I didn't understand that money didn't buy happiness. Uh, for the first time in my life as a multimillionaire married with three beautiful children, I was empty, unfulfilled, unpurposeful, and lost my passion, surrounded myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. And yeah, I lost a $100 million portfolio. Uh, but through that was the best lesson of my life, and that was to live and be of service. And when I went to go tell my mom, not only that I went bankrupt, which was my biggest fear in life, but more importantly, when I had to tell her that I had lost her house because I didn't take her house out of my name. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and That's... she responded unconditionally to me, are you okay? Do you need any money? Is there anything I can do for you? I saw what I was missing in my life, which was my mom, second grade teacher, raised six kids and was of service. She was unconditional in her love and didn't live in a world of scarcity like me. Although I was able to manifest more money than most people can imagine, she lived in a world of more than enough. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 150 of the Can I Pick Your Brain show. Today I've got a very special guest. His name is David Meltzer. He started out with nothing and became a millionaire just nine months out of law school and a multi-millionaire by the time he was 32. But he lost everything and had to start all over again. Today, he's the co-founder of Sports One, the most notable sports marketing firm in the world. He's also a two-time best-selling author and the host of a top five ranked podcast, The Playbook. He was named the top 100 business coaches in the world, and both Forbes and Entrepreneur named him one of the top keynote speakers on the planet. Today, we discuss how to be productive in your sleep, how to handle any situation by getting back to your center, how to take conscious action, how to guard your most precious asset time, how to be selfish so you can be more selfless, how to become a master communicator without saying a word, and why losing everything was the best thing that ever happened to him. Without further ado, here's the one and only David Meltzer. David Meltzer, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Sure, absolutely, man. So I've seen you all over social media. Okay, I've, I've, I've seen you on, on LinkedIn, um, I'm seeing you on Instagram, like you're, you're literally everywhere like a, like a bad rash, but, but, a, but a good way, right? A good rash. Yeah, a healing, you know? I'm a healing rash, I'm a healing rash. Right, yeah, a good rash. And I'll tell you what I wanna, there's a lot of, I, I, I did a little bit of research on you and I've seen you, you've been, you've been everywhere, right? Which is amazing. Um, I really wanna get into how you are able to, um, to get, you, you've got a top-rated podcast, right? Top five business on iTunes. You've interviewed some of the biggest names in in business and in sports, right? You run probably one of the best, one of the most well-known um, sports marketing agencies in the world. You've written two incredible best-selling books. Um, you've been named the top 100 business coaches in the world. What's the? Uh, if I was to to kind of look at what's the common factor. And correct me if I'm wrong, David, but it, it, to me, it seems like it comes down to communication. 
you you seem to have mastered the art of of how to communicate am i am i yeah. wrong that's a great factor i communicate two ways though one to that which inspires me so living an inspired life allows me to be more productive and accessible and productivity is utilizing the 24 hours of the man-made construct of time that we're given and accessibility mm -hmm. is being accessible to others as well as accessing I what I want rapidly and accurately. And, you know, for example, I, you know, most of my phone calls, I try to limit to five minutes, most of my meetings to 20, including interviews, although I'm going to give you an extra 10 minutes because, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I really like this show. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, before we get into that, though, I want to go into a little bit of your backstory for those people who haven't heard of you. Um, so you you essentially, uh, I think it was in, in nine months from coming out of college, uh, from your law degree, you managed to become a millionaire within nine months. It's a very short period of time. Um, and then ultimately became a multimillionaire. And then suddenly you had uh, something crazy happen. You became, you went, you had to file bankruptcy. And then you had to basically start all over. I want to hear that story. I mean, I've heard it, but I want my, the audience to hear that, uh, to set the tone as well. Of course. So the Reader's Digest version is I yeah. grew up poor, five, uh, five boys, one girl, and a single mom. I just wanted to be rich. The reason I wanted to be rich was I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. Oh. And initially, I thought I'd be a football player. Uh, ended up not being very good in college. So I realized I'd better listen to my mom who had a subscribed philosophy of doctor, lawyer, or failure. When I found out uh, doctors needed to be in hospitals, I immediately switched to being a lawyer. When I graduated law school, I had two job offers, one to be a oil and gas litigator to make a lot of money, and the other was to sell legal research online in the early 90s. Uh, learning a great piece of advice uh, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice is my mm -hmm. advice because my mom told me the internet was a fad. Uh, <laughs> and I should be a, <laughs> I should be a real lawyer, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I still bought her the house after nine months and the car. Wow. Uh, but I, you know, not only uh, did I make a lot of money right out of law school, but more importantly, the company itself sold for $3.4 billion in 1995, Jeez. which uh, really set me on a different trajectory into the Silicon Valley. I started branding myself as a technology guru. I raised money in the Silicon Valley for a wireless proxy server company. And then at 32, ended up being the CEO of the world's first smartphone with Microsoft CE, the Windows CE device, the world's first one. Uh, but the main lesson of it all was I didn't understand that money didn't buy happiness. Uh, for the first time in my life as a multimillionaire married with three beautiful children, I was empty, unfulfilled, unpurposeful, and lost my passion, surrounded myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, and yeah, I lost a $100 million portfolio, uh, but through that was the best lesson of my life, and that was to live and be of service. And when I went to go tell my mom not only that I went bankrupt, which was my biggest fear in life, but more importantly, when I had to tell her that I had lost her house because I didn't take her house out of my name, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and she That's... responded unconditionally to me, are you okay? Do you need any money? Is there anything I can do for you? I saw what I was missing in my life, which was my mom, second grade teacher, raised six kids and was of service. She was unconditional in her love 
and didn't live in a world of scarcity like me, although I was able to manifest more money than most people can imagine, she <laughs> lived in a world of more than enough. And she showed me that I had to live my life and re-engineer my life into being of service. Now, I don't walk the streets of Calcutta giving away everything I have. When I talk about being of service, I talk about I live my life in productivity and accessibility of providing value, although I pray to God every morning for at least 10 people that I can help. Every single day, I focus in on how much value am I bringing, how much motivation and inspiration am I bringing. I'm not a manipulator anymore. I don't oversell back end sell. I try not to oversell back end sell. And I definitely try not to lie or manipulate people. I try to motivate them with the purest heart and the clearest mind and the strongest inspiration and energy and frequency that I can provide to inspire others, to inspire others, to be happy. Wow. Your mom's, your mom, your mom must be very proud. Um, well, my, my other brother's a doctor, so she's really proud. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's incredible. And how did that affect your, I mean, you said you were married as well. Did that affect your marriage? Yeah. Um, it, it, my wife stayed with me and I don't think I would have stayed with me, but she uh, <laughs> is a much yeah. better person than me. And she saved my life. You know, my wife's the initial one that told me I was lost, told me I was living my life in the wrong way and told me that if I didn't make changes in my life, this is two years before I lost everything. It takes a long time mm -hmm. to lose that much money, but Two years before I, I went through my quantum shift, the catalyst was my wife, and uh, she set me on a trajectory of understanding the universe, of trusting, you know, not my ego, but trusting the universe and pointing out that I had this huge ego and a need to be right and a need to be offended and a need to be superior and inferior. I didn't need to be separate and anxious and guilty, and I was not in control, and that money does not buy happiness. What she really taught me was money does not buy happiness, but it allows you to shop. And if you're not shopping for the right things, you're a fool. And so I started shopping for the right things. In fact, last year I turned 50 and I bought two community centers in Africa and it's going to impact millions of people with those. And I started shopping for the right things, not the Ferraris, the cars, the motorhomes, the skis, you know, every ski mountain mm -hmm. and golf course that I owned. I, I now shop for others. Everything comes through me for the benefit of others. And my vessel, my own embodiment is expanding to hold more and more. And I live in a world of more than enough. Let me ask you a tough question. Do you think there could be a chance that your ego just transferred from taking but to giving? And what I mean by that is it's also very nice to have your name on a plaque in, an, in a school in Africa. And it's also very nice to say, oh, look, I've, I've saved, you know, millions of people because of me, right? Me, I managed to do that. Do you think the ego is still there? It's just transformed into that? Absolutely. So um, what, what I've learned is the ego exists in all of us. And so what I try to do is when I'm uh, acting with my ego, with those needs that I go back to center which is why I meditate for 20 minutes every day and I try to shift my trajectory. But uh, one of the biggest hypocrisies of everyone's life, including mine, is that the things that I teach and the things that I motivate uh, about, uh, I'm still working on, right? I'm consistently every day, persistently without quit, enjoying the pursuit of my potential. And uh, although my ego is heavily involved and I try not to put my name on anything and I try to use what I shop for to help other people, uh, my ego is absolutely still there. It's still present. Um, the only difference is, is I'd rather have my ego doing 
better things through me for others than shallow, empty things for my for myself. So uh, I, I'd rather my ego be in play when I'm impacting millions of others instead of buying a Ferrari for myself. So, but you, I'm sure you drive a nice car, right? And there's nothing. I, I drive a Chevy Volt. So I believe that's a nice car, but it's practical and it allows me to afford other things for other people. Wow. So let me ask you this. You're in the marketing space. That's a really tough space to be brutally honest, like to be honest, right? <laughs> I'm serious. Whether you, right? think like, it is, whether you think it is or it isn't, either way you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a real, it's like so easy to, 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 there's so much lies and, and, you know, oh. There's so much fake and there's so much like all this, you know, buying Instagram followers and and promoting yeah. the house and the girls and the cars and the whatever. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? Because you, you're talking about surrounding yourself with the right people, right? Yeah, right. So uh, you want to stand out by being yourself. So, you know, years and years ago, there's guys out there that you know, bought followers and et cetera. And, and initially someone gave me. 50,000 followers, you know, when Instagram first started (laughs) and it was the worst thing I've ever done because it took me longer to get rid of those followers. You know, fake followers don't do business. Fake followers Mm -hmm. don't buy things. Fake followers don't help people. Uh, and so one of the things I do is, you know, for example, I don't stand in front of Rolls Royces or big houses and tell everyone they can be a millionaire like me. I don't, I, I don't even, you know, people say, Oh, you know, I'll send you my book, just pay for shipping. You know, I can, you know, literally condemn that type of behavior by my own actions. So anyone that wants to go to my Instagram at David Meltzer, DM me, I will mail you my books and pay for shipping. I, I, I literally live as best as I can to that potential. So I don't surround myself with the fake follower peoples and the, the selling off stage people. What my brand is known for is being of service, being kind to my future self, helping people and trusting the universe, not as a trade, but trusting the universe that I am leaving a void so that I can ask the universe, this field of intention for what I want that will come through me and appreciate, add value for the benefit of others. So there's every profession, entertainment, sports, medicine, insurance, every single profession has scumbags. And what I try to do is, you know, I, I have a saying, I don't negotiate to the last penny. I'm always fair and I won't do business with dicks. <laughs> have you, have you made more money than you made before? I have. So, uh, the difference is the money that I make is real value, not perceived value. So, you know, having a portfolio over a hundred million dollars in real estate was the biggest and baddest assumption that I made. That's why I lost mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I assumed that because I had equity and properties that when things went bad, that I'd be able to borrow against those properties. Little did I know that the bank would say, no, you can't borrow against these properties because we want your money and we want your properties. Mm -hmm. Uh, Never in my mind. And the reason is out of radical humility, something that I strive for, I never ask for help. Now I live my life with two simple questions. How can I be of service? And do you know anyone that can help me? Wow. Incredible. And you talked about before, by the way, getting back to center. I really wanted to highlight that. How do you get back to center? Because that's, that's really important. I, I Personally, I could tell you about my, you know, my life. I, I'm constantly 
on a seesaw one one minute or ask my wife this but one minute i'm like wanting to meditate and like get all spiritual and you know just like chill and enjoy life and live in the present moment and then and then the next week i'm like hustle gotta get more money gotta go you know like i don't have time for that ain't got no no, no time for that it's like and it's like a yo-yo it's like up and down up and down up and it's draining it's really draining and one minute i'm here one minute i'm there so when you talked about when you said getting back to center that really um i really resonated with that because I, that i i i think everybody would love to be there that balance how, how do you do that well years of practice and what i did is i started meditating 20 minutes a day first thing in the morning at 4 a.m when i wake up uh and i find my center so that meditative practice is to find my center which means to find peace you know, to find my place of joy uh to find the place where i can allow a flow to come through me for others to appreciate things, to add value. Now, it is a practice of mine to know or be aware of when I'm not at center, when I'm not at peace, when my ego is in my way, when you know I'm moving as if I'm in control or I get anxious or guilty or you know impatient. There's a variety of different ego-based emotions that I have. Instead of trying to react and escalating the problems, what I have learned to do is take six deep breaths and go back to center and then evaluate the circumstances and not only mentally go back to center, but understand there's a physiological difference in our bodies that different you know, biochemical reactions happen when we are in ego, when we're angry or anxious or attacking or a variety of different ego-based emotions that mm-hmm. we not only have to go back to center mentally, but we have to calm down physically. And if we can do so, I wish I had all the energy and resources and relationships back from me acting outside of center. And so now I know that my first step is to go back to center. And the analogy I use is imagine your emotions being like a car that sits on top of a very high hill in San Francisco downtown. And what happens is when our ego takes over, the car starts rolling downhill. Now. If we go back to center immediately, all it takes is one finger to hold the car up on top of the hill. But if we allow that car to come downhill and then try to stop it at the end of the day, now wonder you feel so run over. That's mm. what you're doing. That's really true. I kind of feel like though there are people that will listen to this and say, oh, it's really easy for a guy who's basically got it made already, right? You've got tons of money. So... <laughs> You know, to like find your center and do like all that meditation and all that stuff. It's like that's easy. That's what got me here. That's what got me. I lost everything. Right. So I think one of the most interesting things is I grew up with nothing and I, I made a ton of money doing it the wrong way by manipulating, working hard, thinking I'm in control, taking all the credit, you know, doing everything myself, not asking for help, not being of service. Here I gave money, but it was purely egotistical that I gave money, uh, mm-hmm. purely egotistical. It was, you know, in exchange for things, it was trading. It was all to get honored and all those things. Well, then I lost everything again. And it, and if you think it's easy, you know, when you first make your pay, your first paycheck after they've taken all your houses, your cars, your motorhome, your boats, everything, Ouch. and the very first paycheck I got, and the very first paycheck I got, I trusted the universe and I wrote a check so that I could give money for a scholarship from my high school for a kid to go to college because that's how I got to college was by a scholarship. And all my siblings went to college by a scholarship. And I went to my wife and I asked her, is this okay? And she said to me, oh, you finally get it. And I said, yeah, I, I, I go, I do. I trust the universe. And she goes, then double it. And I said, really? I don't. Yeah, I go, I don't trust the universe that much. And I will tell you, <laughs> there, there, there's still a part of me that doesn't trust the universe that 
when I give money and I give my time and I, I, I literally live a service, sometimes I feel resentful. Sometimes I feel anxious. Sometimes, right, I, I have these feelings of scarcity and I have to go back to center. So you can say what you want because I'm, look, I don't care how much money you have. If you're shopping for the wrong things and not living your life in a purposeful, passionate way, if you're not in an enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential, it doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. I did learn, though, there's three things. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. And you are not what other people think of you. And if you can get past those three things, you'll be fine. Wow. I love that. So what are you then? If you're not what you do, you're not what other people think of you, and you're not what you, what you have. <laughs> you're, you, to me, you're the value, value you provide. Like that, that's what I am. I am, I am the value that I provide, whether it's picking up trash on the street, holding a door open for somebody, helping someone across the street, or putting a shopping cart back, whether it's giving a million dollars for a community center, whatever it may be, the value that I provide to others, which is an energy, is that is my essence of what I'm able to do. I can, you can call it in a philanthropic sense, how I'm of service, but it's really what value, what product, productive value am I bringing to the day? That's who I am, mm-hmm. not what I have, not what I do. And definitely, you take 100 people in a room, and I speak in front of thousands of people, yeah. I have a 1,000 reputations. <laughs> so right. what do I care? Well, how can right. I control that? And I spent so much of my life worrying about those thousand reputations when I step in a room and I worried about changing people's minds about me. Look, I've learned one thing through the internet that I love. And you said, I'm all over the internet like a happy rash. But I yeah. will tell you this, <laughs> I will tell you this. I am really happy. You know, I have 40 million viewers on Elevator Pitch, my TV show. I have 5 million or so people that watch my podcast, et cetera, and downloads and all that. Well, you know, out of all those people, I don't care if 3.9 billion of the other people on the internet out of the 4 billion don't know me or don't like me, right? And everyone else does. They're worried about the wrong thing. They're putting faith in the wrong thing. And then they wonder why they're getting the wrong thing. I'm putting faith in the people that do enjoy my frequency, that understand that and are motivated by my frequency. I'm not worried about the reputation I have about people that I can't control. I wish I had all that energy back and trying to convince people of, pe- of something, but the amount of time it takes someone for you to change someone's mind, you could get a hundred people to align with you and rise up. So for true. You. So true. I love the fact that you said earlier that you, you, you're very, you guard your time, right? And you, yes. you give five minute phone calls and you give 20 minute interviews. How, how do you, I guess that's how you stop people from taking advantage of you. But are you not, I guess, do people kind of say, wow, who, you know, who do you think you are that you can only give me five minutes? Do they get offended by that? Like, I feel like for me, if, people, if they do, I don't want to do business with them. Right. If they, hmm. if, if they're worried about my five minutes, right. I didn't ask for the meeting. You know, I'm, I'm attracting everything into my life. So I'm not asking for the meeting. And the funny thing is when I ask for meetings, so, you know, a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk is productive and accessible and he's a mentor of mine and I help them with their sports agency. But when I ask Gary for his time, I ask him for five minutes. And I don't think in his head, he's like, who the fuck does Dave, excuse my language, who the heck does Dave Meltzer think he is only asking me for five minutes? No, I I tell people, come prepared. I'm more than willing to help you. I'll leverage my relationship capital and my situational knowledge to be of service to you. But I try to keep every single phone call to five minutes. I try to keep every meeting and interview to 20 minutes. And if you need a little extra time, then ask for it and explain to me why. 
And then I can make it an efficient. But when I'm able to do that, this allows me to be more accessible. You know, it allows me to do six coaching clients a day, seven days a week. And I do them every other week. So I can have 84 coaching clients at one time so that I can get through the wait list of coaches and I can oversee the other coaches that I have. There's certain things. I just have to be better at what I do in order to get to the reasons, impacts, and capabilities of what we want to discuss so that we can be of service to each other and mutually benefit I'm challenging myself. I think it's a compliment that I want to get it done in five minutes and not waste your day because your time must be as valuable as mine. Mm -hmm. Totally. How do you get it done, though, in such a short amount of time? I mean, it, it would be amazing if everyone could just get things done in five minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it is. Because I've divided it into five pieces, right? So most of the time, all we need to do, a meeting is about either one, you want to stimulate interest, two, you want to transition interest, Three, you want to share a vision. That's the three things that meetings are about. Otherwise, what you're doing is managing and developing a vision, which is 80% of the work, which has nothing to do with a phone call or a meeting. Managing mm -hmm. to develop a vision is creating a go-no-go -no -go plan, action items in which you order to effectuate. I study my calendar for productivity and accessibility, not just what I'm doing in person on the phone via email and social media, but I'm studying the white space in my calendar every day looking to see where's the open spots, how productive and accessible can I be. I'm overlapping what I'm doing. So, for example, if I can take this interview and go through 112 emails, that's what I've been doing while we've been doing this interview. Uh, you know, that's how people get <laughs> right. it done, but you have to practice, you know, you, I'm 51 years old. I've been doing this for 25 years, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just like if I shot, uh, free throws for 25 years and the amount of time that I've done and been a student in my calendar and subscribed to do it now and tried to be efficient and effective and statistically successful with my time, I bet you I'd be a much better free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. So you just became you, you just became like a, a professional time, uh, I guess. Yeah. What would the word, what would the word be like? Time manager, yeah, manager. time manager. That's it. Yeah, and and the same thing with productivity and accessibility. Here's the interesting thing about time. I don't believe there's work. I believe there's activity. You get paid for activity, and you don't get paid for activity. And it's subjective, right? I would pay a million dollars to play for the San Diego Padres baseball team, but they paid Machado three hundred million to play. Right? <laughs> right? Is it work for him? Why is it work for me or him? Right. Mm. It's not. It's activity you get paid for or you pay for or you don't get paid for. It doesn't matter. Meanwhile, what most people don't understand is that eight hours a day on average, people sleep and they don't spend as much time studying how productive and accessible they can be in their sleep, even though it's consistently the only thing they do every single day. And they can get the most out of it because it can create so much opportunity, so much productivity, so much happiness and energy and inspiration in your life. If you mm -hmm. just paid attention to the eight <laughs> hours that you do every day of sleep, but ask right. how many people have studied sleep. Nobody studies sleep, but they, they studied, you know, biology that they never would use or trigonometry that they'll never use for like six years. Well, that's that's ridiculous. School, yeah, that's the school system's fault. But. How, so give me an example of, of things that you do to sleep better, because I'd love to sleep better. <laughs> yeah. So the key to sleeping better is what you do in the day, not what you're doing in the night. So what I do is I wake up at the same time every day at 4 a.m. And I go and try to provide that. Yes. Yeah, 4 a.m. And so, oh, you know, my, my goal is to use all my energy so that I pass out. And I tr instead of going to sleep, I try to stay up to. Right. So my whole strategy of going to sleep is how late can I stay up to? I try <laughs> to stay up to 11 p.m. every day, but I always wake up at four. Then I make sure that I'm not eating caffeine. I'm making sure that, 
I don't eat after a certain time, that when I go to sleep, that I don't do work in my bed. I make sure that I have a room at 67 degrees. I make sure that it's completely dark. I make sure that I never go to bed in a state of ego, that I've always meditated some sort of gratitude meditation of how grateful I am for everything that I have. And I put and set my mind, energy, soul, all into alignment with the universe of gratitude because gratitude makes the day before unbelievable, the present day better, and the next day even brighter. There's so many different secrets to sleep that you can do, but the basics are, it's not what you do to go to sleep, it's what you're doing during the day. Don't go to sleep, try to stay awake. You ever have a bad day? You sound like you're just like, it's like every day is like a great day in David land. It's like, wow, everything's amazing. Just <laughs> every <gets> day, <laughs> it is. Every day is a great day and it has bad moments. And I just go back to center faster than most people. Every day is the best day and I just have bad moments. And I just try to increasingly make those moments shorter than shorter. Okay, give me an example of a recent bad moment that you had and how you went back to center. Oh, please. I had, right before, I, uh, about a month and a half ago, I had acquired a media company and I had sunk tons of money in the media company. I established huge clients for the media company and the two guys, uh, one had left months before because he got an argument with the other owner of the media company acquired. Then the sole owner, I found out, had made tons of misrepresentations and came in, you know, boldly and just told me, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving because I have an opportunity that I can't pass up. And the opportunity he couldn't pass up was my client. Oh. <laughs> and he was, yeah. And so oh. the old Dave Meltzer would have been in lawsuits and tragedy and yeah. it would have not been a bad day. It would have been a bad month. And in the past, oh. I've made it bad years uh, really? because I put faith in the wrong things. Instead, I breathed. I took my breath. And within two weeks, I had the entire thing resolved. Uh, we unraveled what needed to be unraveled. The media company's in a better position than it's ever been in without those guys. And I have a settlement that was negotiated without lawyers in a very short amount of time by being fair, not negotiating to the last penny. And in this case, not do being, you know, or doing business with dicks. And also one thing that I believe in is forgiveness. So I forgave myself. I'm accountable for that. And I forgave myself for making the mistakes. And literally, it, one of the things that came from it was I, I had everything at peace when I went to bed and I woke up in the morning with anxiety over it. And I said to myself, what did I do wrong? Why is this bothering me? I, I've already mentally gone through to center. This is all going to be fine. Everything happens for the right reason at the perfect time. All Everything's going to be fine. Well, what happened was because it was actually physically traumatic, right? And it also affected my my family, my wife you know, was in tears because, you know, once again, she felt as if, you know, I got taken advantage of and my trust. And she told me, you know, we just can't trust anyone. And she wanted, you know, I was just, I put myself to center and I worked through the physiological side, the biochemistry side, so that I physically wasn't upset that next day. And I had a wonderful day and I've had a wonderful days ever since. It's amazing. Wow. You know, it's great is that um, we got to wrap this up because obviously I'm mindful of your time, which is which is <laughs> great. You. Yeah, no, I really highly respect that. Um, and it's interesting because at the beginning I said we're going to talk about communication, the art of communication. And yet we didn't directly talk about communication and yet we did. The whole thing was about Correct. communicating. 
because when you're at center and when you're humble and when you're not needing to negotiate for the last dollar and when you're forgiving people and when you're just constantly you know focusing on trying to give and be better that is i mean that that comes out louder than anything else you know you could learn all the communication tactics and skills and and all the you know the 10 steps to the sales <laughs> you know you know what i'm talking about you know it you know yeah. it all right i gotta share this because communication yeah. to, to close what i believe yes. what you've witnessed uh through the circumstantial questions that you asked communication is simple and here's the story i always say you know you're in your home and all the electricity goes out and you're stumbling around and you lose your keys and you're searching for the keys and you can't find the keys and then you look outside and the lights are on outside. So you go outside and you start looking under the street light for your keys outside. Yeah. And your neighbor comes by and he says, what are you doing? I'm looking for my keys. And he's, oh, I'd like to help you. You're both looking around. And then after a little while, he's like, well, where did you drop them? And you say, well, I dropped them inside, but the electricity went out and it's dark inside. <laughs> we've, been, we've been wasting all our time <laughs> outside looking for your keys in the light here. And you drop them in the dark inside. And you right. said, yeah, because isn't that what everybody does? Um, mm -hmm. And that's communication. W we, we are constantly trying to communicate with that which is outside of us instead of in the dark inside where we need to communicate. Because once we figure out that piece, the communicating with ourselves to be inspired and motivated to clear the corrosion of connection between that which inspires us by trying to get out of the way of our ego, now communicating effectively and adding value to others is simple i love it wow what an ending beautiful david thank you so much for letting me pick your wonderful brain and thank you to all my fellow brain pickers i'm looking forward to the day when i'll be picking your brain you've been listening to the can i pick your brain podcast inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth so to put these ideas into action head over to danielgeffen.com